Hello there, this is Dylan, David, and Sean, Take on Fascism, here for episode 5 of our podcast. Today, we are going to be discussing different scenes from The Great Dictator and Triumph of the Will, and how they describe or show the nature of fascism. The first scene we're going to be analyzing today is from Triumph of the Will, directed by Lenny Riefenstahl. This scene is the closing scene from Triumph of the Will, and it takes place in a beer hall and is Hitler giving his farewell speech. The second scene we're going to be analyzing today is by, is by Charlie Chaplin's The Great Dictator. This scene is Adenoid Hinkle's first speech. Throughout this podcast, we are going to be analyzing these two scenes and how they demonstrate the nature of fascism. Let's begin. All right, so the first scene we're talking about right here, the beer hall scene. Uh, to me, it looks like I, I had kind of like an issue comparing the scene, um, trying to figure out what Riefenstahl is going for right here. And after watching it a couple of times, it kind of, to me, looks like, uh, it reminds me a lot of a cathedral. And the, uh, the way the, the, it's a really tall building, the way the fascists liked their, the way they liked their architecture was they liked the really tall, big, grand buildings. And it's a perfect place for the Nazi party to hold their address right here. And you have the really tall ceiling, it's really long, elongated. Um, there's a ton of people in there, it almost looks like they're in church pews, so it has this religious type look to it. Um, it almost looks like, yeah, like a cathedral. And the, the reason I say that is because Hitler liked to uh, kind of immortalize himself. And the Nazi people looked at themselves as superior and they looked at the Fuhrer as a god. So one aspect of it is why it looks like a church to me, like a gigantic so church. I, I think it's interesting that you mentioned that it looks like a church and it's religious because I was thinking how much of like the events and uh, you know party meetings that the Nazis plan, especially in public, are meant to look... Uh, grand, big, and they kind of have a, a religious or cult feel to them because that's the whole psychological aspect of it. So when when you're watching the scene and you're seeing at the very beginning all the people marching in, in perfect unison, perfect rows, and then the camera's looking up, like all over from them, so from behind, above, in front, all these different angles just to get as much of the action that's going on at the beginning of the scene. And then it cuts straight from them marching in to some Nazi official announcing that Hitler is going to speak. And the camera pans to Hitler. He doesn't say anything at the beginning. He's just standing there watching them. I thought this was really interesting because, you know, it's easy to think like, obviously this happened in real life, in real time. But Riefenstahl never had to, had to add this into the film. She she did it on purpose. So I think the reason was just to capture what it must have been like in person for the people sitting in the in the 
building and watching Hitler, what they must have felt when he went up there and did not speak for the first few seconds and then started giving his speech. Well, when Hitler is up there, what do the people see? They see a charismatic leader. That is one of the single most important aspects of having a fascist government. I mean, you without a charismatic leader, there is no fascism. There have been various almost fascist organizations that have failed without the leadership of a charismatic man. I mean, so when you see this man up here and he's speaking and he's giving a speech like he owns the place, it's obviously making the people love to love him and flock to him because of his charismatic qualities. Uh, another thing this reminds me of about the way fascism rules, the way fascism wants to be seen is, uh, while he's talking right here, the whole nature of propaganda films and fascism, they're said to be intentionally misleading. So you have Hitler giving this grand speech up there. He's waiting a long time in between points so that he can get a big applause. He wants to show that the people love him. Uh, a big, uh, th this is uh, apparently, to me, coercion. Um, he, he's, the, the thing about these propaganda films is that they are directed at individuals and masses at the same time. So he can sway large amounts of people in a short amount of time. I'm sure, I don't know the exact number, but I know many people in Germany after this film was filmed saw this film. And it probably, it might not necessarily make them join the Nazi party, but it's definitely going to uh, eliminate any kind of opposition or resistance to the National Socialist Party. Um, they're going to... It, to me, it seems like one would see this in 1934, right? It was, it was filmed in 1934. So it looks like it can gain steam amongst regular average Germans, not necessarily political diehards, but the average German person, I don't think after seeing this film, is going to put up much of a fight uh, against Hitler because it, it just looks like there's a massive amount of people following him. And... Like, you mentioned coercion, and when you see, like, these massive crowds clapping and cheering after every five seconds of Hitler giving a speech, it almost feels like, like somebody standing up outside the camera holding up a cue card, almost ordering them to, to clap, which is most likely not the case. But, but Reef and Shaw make sure that you see all those people clapping and cheering and... Sh and What's very interesting to me, and like the big difference between this being a Nazi propaganda film and this being uh, just a basic German documentary, is that Riefenstahl makes sure that you see the crowd and, and every time they're cheering and clapping, because a regular speech would just show Hitler talking the entire time, it would get boring, it would feel something that would be like on at midnight on the History Channel. Another thing that I noticed is the camera in the crowd. You, sometimes you see the face of the crowd, but then she often switches to showing the backs of the heads of the crowd. And I feel like that was done on purpose to almost make the viewer feel like they're a part of the crowd, looking up at the stage at Hitler, making them feel like they were actually there. Because of course, this, uh, this speech and this party congress can only happen once. Like there's other 
congresses each year, but this is this year's one. And the idea, I feel, was to capture the momentum and splendor of this specific congress, turn it into a film, and then put it in German theater so that the German people who could not make it to this party congress would be able to experience it for themselves in the right in the theater it would it would be as if millions of people saw this thing at one time i mean when you see all these people clapping and saluting hitler it's like if you don't go along with it you're an odd man out and no one wants to be an odd man out so therefore seeing all those people it is like coercion it's all of these people just following one another into this um how can i say this um You don't want to be ostracized in a situation like this when the, when a when a movement appears to be this big. That I think that's the key thing. The movement yeah. appears to be a big movement, and no one wants to be the other. Um, also, another thing I think in this scene right here, he 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 says this part where it's not enough to believe; you have to act. So that's an, that's that's another hidden message. It's not really direct. He's not. He's he's telling he's telling the crowd believing is not enough. You have to, you have to, uh, you have to engage in this movement. Be active in in the party and in Germany and just in the for the benefit of the German people in general. So, like for example, he's kind of inclusive with his speech, and obviously I lose use inclusive very loosely because when you think of Nazis and Nazi Germany, you don't think of inclusive at all but in in his terms inclusive of people who are considered germans so he mentions like the elderly and the youth and how uh like when the old get older and the and the children become young adults and adults in germany that they will be there to care for each other and keep passing on these ideologies and ideals of nazi germany for future which is basically implying that like even after Hitler's gone and and all, everyone in that and that uh building is gone that there's still going to be a Nazi Germany so it's it's building up to what they're expecting to come another thing i noticed when Riefenstahl pans on the audience is when she shows high ranking nazi officials or high ranking military officials uh they they're clapping but some of them aren't clapping they're not smiling they're not cheering and i at first I thought this was kind of weird because why would you show all these important people not cheering at the end of everything Hitler says but I actually think this was also done for an explicit reason and that reason is to show that like the military and these government officials take their jobs very seriously and it's to give the German people like a sense of trust in these people like mm -hmm. th they already know what Hitler's saying and they have a plan for it and they're going to carry it out especially when he addresses them directly as like the military calling them strong and, and brave and stuff like that i mean yeah. there's the aspect of how does fascism rule there is war and empire when you see all of these people in the military with these big guns and things and um you trust them you trust them to fight for you so when the people of germany see that they have these people that they can trust it puts tr it puts 
complete trust in Hitler and in his ruling. So, so now, when you see like the portrayal of Hitler in Riefenstahl's film, and then say for example, uh, Chaplin's film, especially in the scene that we're gonna analyze, uh, I I feel like it's the portrayal that's the contrast between these two films. So in Riefenstahl's film, Hitler's portrayed as this overly charismatic leader who's doing no wrong, who is getting thunderous applause and cheers every five seconds. And the same happens in Chaplin's film, but instead of using that as a good point, like Riefenstahl does in her film, Chaplin uses it uh, to mock Hitler for, for it. So. Another thing is the, uh, with the hidden messaging is his intent to what he's gonna do with the Jews. It's, I think it's pretty obvious to me and in the film how the part where he talks about only the best National Socialists are party members and then he goes on to say that we must weed out those who do not belong in the party and then he goes even further who don't fit in with the, with the German people, with the Aryan race, basically the other citizens. In this case, that's the Jews. So it's, uh, even though he's not spelling it out, I think it's pretty obvious that he's taking the next steps to um, move on with the eventual extermination of the Jews in Europe. So now as we move on to talk about the great dictator and what Chaplin was trying to uh, satirize in that film. So as I mentioned earlier, the depictions of Hitler in both films is different, even though that the subject matter is the same. So Riefenstahl and Chaplin were both showing similar aspects of fascism and Nazi Germany in their films, but while Riefenstahl was trying to use it as leverage for her film, Chaplin was using it to, to mock it and Hitler in it. So the big thing is, I feel like the overall reason for Chaplin's film was to depict Hitler how he did not want to be depicted so in Riefenstahl's film, he's depicted as, uh, like I said earlier, the charismatic leader who's doing no wrong, making fluid movements, and just appearing almost godlike to the people who are watching him. But then in Chaplin's film, he's, he's coughing, he's falling down the stairs at the end of the scene. He's, uh, his, his fellow officials like Herring, when he sits down, his belt comes off, so it's just showing like all of these people making mistakes, and you can imagine how they felt in the 30s, uh, the 40s when this movie came out, seeing themselves being depicted like this, just the complete opposite of how they wanted to be seen. Yeah, and another, another thing with the Chaplin film, I think the reason he's um, doing all this mockery towards Adolf Hitler is that he's trying to humanize this Pure that the Germans hold on this pedestal. Um, he, 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 he's pretty much trying to show that... Uh, an, another thing, he's doing it through comedy, but it's a serious matter. Um, he said it himself later on in life. Uh, the, the part about... In his he, autobiography. Yeah, in his autobiography. And uh, the big thing with Chaplin is that he's trying to expose the entire world really because he was a really he was the biggest actor of his 
time. There was really no one bigger than Charlie Chaplin. So if he makes the film, everyone's probably going to see it. And I don't think too many people were seeing the atrocities that were going on in Europe at this time. I think he was the first one to actually broadcast it to a large crowd. And uh, I think this brought a lot of attention through comedy. I don't, I don't, I'm not sure if it was taken as seriously at first because it was still, what, 1940. This was even before Pearl Harbor. But um, I don't think anyone knew what fascism really was until Chaplin addressed it. I mean, so when Chaplin is making his speech, or Hinkle, as it was, um, you can see these people in the crowd saluting furiously every five seconds, and it is quite funny. I mean, but what he is showing is how the people were coerced and by his use of being a charismatic leader into acting this way. So that just shows the importance of these things and how it relates to the nature of fascism. So just to clarify, how do you guys think these films show the nature of fascism? So in the end, these two films tackle the same big ideas of fascism, especially charismatic leadership and coercion and just the crowds. It's just that their takes on it are completely different and that's what separates these two films perfectly. Thank you for listening. That's all we have for you today. Until next time. Hey, this is Dylan, David, and Sean take on fascism. We're here for a special episode. Today, we're going to be discussing what can the history of anti-fascism tell us about responding to fascism today?